0: For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, Welcome to week five of our series, For God So Loved. And it is the journey that we're taking with Jesus as we're heading to Jerusalem and we're heading to Easter. We are almost there. But part of the journey has been an invitation to us, that as we journey, it's a time of reflection. We know where we're going. Jesus knows where he's going. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're heading to the cross. But but we've been taking these weeks to, to reflect on our own lives, to hold up a mirror in our own lives and say, God, am I where you would have me be in my relationship with you? Because Easter is no, there is no better time than to make things right. This morning, we continue the journey with Jesus towards Jerusalem in the Gospel of John chapter 12. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, poured it out on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, when a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were coming over to Jesus and believing in him. This is the Word of God. Given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, "Thanks be to God." You can be seated. I read a true story of a of a man in New York who was kidnapped, and the kidnappers called uh, his wife and uh, demanded a ransom one hundred thousand dollars. She talked with them for a while on the phone, and she talked them talked them down to thirty thousand dollars. And the story had a happy ending. The man returned home. He was unharmed. The money was recovered. The kidnappers were caught. They went to jail. But don't you wonder what that conversation was like when the man got home and found out that his wife had ransomed him for a discount? Can you imagine what the negotiations would have been like with her on the phone to the kidnapper, her saying something like, $100,000? Are you kidding me? Look at the man. He's not worth $100,000. I'll give you 30000 and not a penny more. I suppose there might be some of you here this morning who can identify with that wife in the story. But for some reason, I find myself identifying with the husband. Because I'd like to think that if I was in a similar situation, there would be people who would spare no expense to get me back, that, that, that they wouldn't haggle over the price. They wouldn't say, well, let me think about it for a while. I'm not sure if he's worth it or not. I, I'd like to think there are people in my life who would say, We'll do anything we need to do for you. The point of the story is this. Sometimes it's okay to be extravagant. That's precisely what the story in the Gospels is about. Look again at the story with me. Remember that Jesus is on his way to the cross. It is just a few days before Passover. The chief priests and the scribes, they are plotting against him. Judas is ready to betray him. The crucifixion is now less than a week away, and Jesus knows it. The crucifixion is now less than a week away, and Jesus knows it. Jesus and his disciples stop at Bethany. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead there in Bethany, and now they're having dinner. And a woman comes to Jesus um, and does this beautiful, extravagant thing for the Lord. The Gospel of John tells us that this woman is Mary. She is the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Mary brings this alabaster jar, a very expensive ointment. She breaks open the jar and pours out the costly perfume upon Jesus, anoints him. Why did she do that? Well, the scholars have different opinions on it. Some scholars say that it was an act of gratitude, that she was thanking Jesus for all he had done, but especially for raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. Some scholars say that it was a, an act of consecration, a, a baptizing, a, a, an ordination, uh, that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and do all the things that he was going to do. Others say it was a foreshadowing, an act of preparation in which the anointing of his body was that his death was just a few days away in Jerusalem. But all the scholars agree on this it was an act of love and it was an act of kindness. But the story doesn't end there. Mary, after doing this beautiful thing, is criticized by a few folks in the room. The Gospel of John says that Judas reprimanded her for being wasteful. And then Jesus reprimands Judas for being stingy. Stinginess means being over-concerned about money. Sort of like the kidnapped man's wife, who obviously felt that money was real important. Either that or she reasoned it's a lot easier to replace a husband than it is $100,000, That's stingy thinking. That's materialistic thinking. That's a Judas kind of mindset. That's the way Judas thought. What a waste, he said. All of this could have been sold. We could have done so much with this. This is just an entire waste. And and yet we see in the Gospel of John that Judas never intended to give any money away. In fact, it wasn't even his oil. But it sure made him sound kind of puffed up and holy along the way. Judas must have been a little surprised that Jesus complimented Mary on what she had done. Now the point of the story again is simply this. Sometimes it's okay to be extravagant. That's Mary's mindset. For if you lived by strictly by the Judas' mindset, you'd have no padding on the chairs on which you sit. No one would ever get you flowers. And if your daughter ever came to you and said, I've fallen in love and I, I, I want to get married, your response would be great. You should elope. It's a lot cheaper. But the merry mindset says, sometimes in the name of love and kindness and gratefulness, it's okay, indeed, it's beautiful to be extravagant. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, it's okay to be extravagant in our generosity. That's what Mary was doing, this beautiful act of sacrificial generosity. Many, many years ago, there was a small Native American tribe that lived where the state of Mississippi uh, is today. They lived along the banks of a swift and dangerous river, and the current at that time of the year was so swift that just falling in, you took a chance that you would be swept away and probably die downstream. One day the tribe was attacked by another hostile Indian tribe and they found themselves literally pushed up against the banks of the river and they are totally surrounded and they are outnumbered. Their only chance to get away was to go through the river, to cross the current. But it was so high that time of year it would mean sure death for the children, the elderly, the weak, the ill, and the injured, and maybe even some of the strong. The leaders of the tribe got together and and huddled together to try to devise a plan. And the logical thing, the the reasonable thing, the expedient thing, the sensible thing would be to leave the weak ones behind. I mean, they're going to be killed anyway. Why risk losing the strong in a futile effort to save others? That was the rational answer, but they couldn't do it. They decided that instead they would live in extravagant generosity. They decided that the strong would pick up the weaker ones, put them on their shoulders. The little children, the elderly, those that were ill, those that were injured, they got on the, on the backs and the shoulders of the strong ones. And with great fear, they stepped out into the water, into the rapids, and they were met with a great surprise. To their astonishment, they discovered that it was the weight, the extra weight that they were carrying that allowed their feet to stand sure in the middle of of the raging water. Their own extravagant generosity saved them. What they did was not the reasonable thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. The point is that if we who are strong and we who are comfortable and well-fed will reach out in generosity and help somebody in need, you might discover that the life you save just might be your own. In words and actions, Jesus teaches us sometimes to be extravagant, our generosity. Second, to be extravagant in our gratitude. Maybe that's what Mary was doing that day in Bethany, expressing her indescribable thanksgiving to Jesus. I mean, sometimes something is so big in your life, there aren't words to really express it well enough. I mean, saying thank you for raising your brother from the dead, that's a pretty big thing. I'm sure that most of you might have heard the story, and I know I've mentioned it before, the woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And in planning her memorial service, she was meeting with the pastor and talking about the service. And she said, Pastor, one thing I want to make sure that we do is I want you to make sure that there is a fork in my right hand. And as he was a little confused, she went on to explain it. She said, in all my years attending church and eating potluck meals and going to people's houses, uh, my favorite part of the meal is when somebody came up and cleared the main plate and whispered in my ear, you better keep your fork there's something better coming. She said, that was my favorite part. The meal might have been great, but I knew that there was a dessert coming and I was going to keep my fork. So she said, Pastor, when my funeral time comes and people say, what is that fork doing in her hands? I want you to explain it to them. I've had such a great life and I'm so grateful for what I've had. But I'm hanging on to the fork because I've got something far greater that's coming. Let me ask you something. Do you have that kind of victorious spirit? Do you have that kind of deep faith? Do you have that kind, and are you living that kind of extravagant gratefulness? If no, then why not? Because Jesus taught us that it's okay to be extravagant in our generosity and in our gratitude. For too often we are concentrating on the things that we don't have. Too often we are concentrating on the things that we wish were different. Followers of Jesus ought to be a people who live extravagantly grateful. For we have been given a gift that is far beyond anything we can put in words. We've been given a gift that is far beyond anything that we could ever repay. And if we are not a people who live gratefully we're missing out on some of God's best for our life. Third, to be extravagant in our graciousness. One thing is clear. Whatever many scholars, the meaning that scholars attach to Mary's act of anointing Jesus with precious oil, it is without question an act of love and kindness and graciousness. Let me tell you about Tess. Tess was an eight-year-old little girl, and one day she'd heard her mom and dad, and they were talking in a somber tone, and, and she didn't catch it all, but, but she knew that it was about her little brother. Her little brother, Andrew, had been very, very sick for a long time. They were constantly going to the doctor. They were constantly going to the pharmacy, trying this medicine and trying this medicine and, and picking this up, and, and they got to the place that they were, they were out of money, and, and she hears them have the conversation that what Andrew really needs is a surgery, and they don't know how they're going to do it, and, and she hears her dad say to her mom, we need a miracle for Andrew. Well, Tess heard that. And she ran into her room and got into her closet and she grabbed the jelly jar that she kept in her closet that had a few coins in it and she took those coins and she dumped them out on the bed and she carefully counted them and she put them back in the jelly jar, put it under her arm, got her coat and walked down a few blocks down to the Rexall Pharmacy. And she went into the pharmacy, and she stood there in front of the pharmacist who was busy having a conversation with a, with a, with a man. He didn't see her there, and so um, she didn't have a lot of patience, and so she, as most eight-year-olds don't, and, and she cleared her throat. And he still didn't pay attention to her. And so he, as he continued to talk, she took a quarter out of the jar and began to kind of tap it on the glass. The pharmacist noticed uh, that uh, she was there and said, oh... I'm sorry I didn't see you. Can you just give me a moment? My brother uh, surprised me. He came in from Chicago. I don't get to see him very often. Let me just finish up with him and I'll get to you in just a moment. Well, Tess wasn't going to have any of that. She, she jumped right in and said, well, th- I want to talk to you about my brother. And my brother is really sick. And I want to buy a miracle. How much does a miracle cost? My brother's name is Andrew. He's got a, something growing inside his head. My daddy says, what Andrew really needs is a miracle. Can I buy one here? This is all the money I have. If, if, if you need more, I'll go get more. The pharmacist's brother was a well-dressed man who stooped down and asked Tess, what kind of miracle does your brother need? Tess said, I don't know. My mom says he's really sick and my parents are out of money and so I want to pay. I want to use my money. And the man said, how much money do you have? $1.11, Tess said proudly. It's all the money I have in the world. Well, you're in luck, the man from Chicago said. $1.11 is the going rate for miracles for little brothers. And he took the money in one hand and with the other, he took a hold of Tess and he said, I'd like to meet your brother and your parents Let's see if I have the kind of miracle that you need. And that well-dressed pharmacist brother was a man from Chicago by the name of Dr. Carlton Armstrong, who just happened to be a neurosurgeon. And the operation was successful and without charge. And it wasn't long until Andrew was home again, and Tess heard her mom and dad talking one night about how grateful they were about the chain of events that had taken place for Andrew's miracle, and mom said, it really was a miracle, but, but then mom said, but I do wonder, how much did it cost? And little Tess smiled because she knew exactly what a miracle costs. One dollar and eleven cents, plus the skill of a gracious and great doctor, and of course, The gracious, sacrificial love of an eight-year-old big sister. Someone might say, well, it was only a dollar and 11 cents. But it was everything that she had. She gave all that she had for her little brother. That's an extravagant gift. And it's a great story. But it's a great story because it reminds us of the author of extravagant gifts. It reminds us in a dramatic way that the Spirit of Christ can empower and enable us to be people who live extravagantly in our generosity, extravagantly in our gratitude, and extravagantly in our graciousness. For as followers of Jesus, that's what our life is to look like. God, forgive us for holding on to something so tightly that isn't ours in the first place, and we can't take it with us anyway. And as you look at this list on the screens, honestly, how would last week have been different if we would have done a better job of living extravagant? See, I'm convinced that our our worship of God is not just what we do in a sanctuary like this. I mean, that's part of it, but that's just a small part of it. Our worship of God is measured really by who we are when we leave this place. So let me ask you this. How might this coming week be different if we lived this way? You want to worship extravagantly? And be extravagant in your generosity. Be extravagant in your gratitude. Be extravagant in your graciousness. Live out in front of people what following Jesus does to a person's life. Because in following Jesus, our our lives ought to look different. In fact, our lives ought to to look peculiar to the world. In in following Jesus, our lives ought to look kind of weird. Because we're a people who live extravagantly the gifts of grace and gratitude and generosity of heart. Because in, in the people in our lives who... Who have not discovered this extravagant love of God, the only way that they're going to see it is in the way you live. And so, as you live extravagantly in graciousness and gratitude and generosity, may the way you live this week, may there be those in your life that might just catch a glimpse. Of the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whomever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This week, how will you live extravagantly for the kingdom? Would you stand? Father, thank you this morning for your presence as we've come together and we've spoke your word, as we've sung songs that remind us of this gift, this extravagant gift of grace through Jesus. As we've read in in your word about the journey of Jesus as he heads to Jerusalem, he knows exactly where he's going and he still goes. He goes because he's pouring himself out, everything he has for us. But Lord, when we, in this season in which we're holding up a mirror in front of our lives, there can be some things that we see that we know need to look different if we're really going to live into who you've created us to be. So, God, help us to be a people that live arms wide open that live extravagant ways. Help us to be a people who look peculiar sometimes to the world because of our responses and the grace that is poured out. In fact, help us look so peculiar that people might notice a difference and ask just where that peace might come from. Help us to be be a people who, who worship not just in this room, but through the actions of our life until we gather again in this room. Help us to be a people of generosity and gratitude and graciousness as we point people to you. May people see the love of Christ lived out in us. And may we live more for you tomorrow than we did yesterday. And may that be true each day of our journey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you as you go.